Big Podcast. It's Build a Big Podcast, the marketing podcast for podcasters. You're a podcaster? You want to grow your podcast, get more people to your podcast, make money with your podcast, have a message within your podcast that people care about? You are in the right place. Bigpodcast.com is the website. My name is David Hooper. In my background before podcasting, and this is important because this is how I learned how to do all these things, it was in the music industry. I still work in the industry, in the broadcasting space. But for 20-something years, I was a marketing guy. Before that, I was a musician, songwriter, publisher, film and TV licensing. I have done a lot of things within the industry. And that has provided me the background for what I do today, helping you grow an audience. I'm really excited about my guest on this episode, Dan Hughley. He also has a background in the music industry. I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned from the music industry, which also applies to podcasting, and there's a billion of them, but this is the biggest one. As a creative person, you have to set the space for your creativity. Now that's creating whatever it is that you do, but it is also recording what you do. It is marketing what you do, getting it to other people or trying to, getting rejected a lot of the time. Again, so many lessons that I've learned from the music industry that have applied to life and podcasting. I think you're gonna connect with this. Dan is such a cool guy. This is one of the cool things about the music industry, by the way. I think a lot of people like me, we started as musicians and then we ended up doing some other kind of work within the industry. For me, marketing, now it's broadcasting. Dan is in the equipment business. He works for Focusrite. You might be familiar with the scarlet boxes, those red boxes that go in between your mic and your computer when you're recording a podcast. I'm using one now. Everybody uses them. That's the company Dan works for. I wanted to have him talk about the creative process we talk about setting the stage to record your podcast, getting the best performance out of yourself and other people that you're dealing with, your co-host, your guest, public personas versus private personas. You might've run into this yourself. Somebody who has heard your podcast thinks that that's who you are all the time. And that's not to say we're lying to people. And that's not to say that there's some kind of trickery, but who we are behind the mic a lot of times is different from how we are in our private lives. A lot of introverts in podcasting. We're gonna talk about that getting into your creative space, taking breaks, you're going to get a lot out of this. I mentioned that one of the things we talk about is setting the space for a great interview, being able to be yourself, trust your message with the other person and get that out there. But because this is a podcast on podcasting, I want to talk about how we actually record this. Dan is in Laurel, Montana. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. We sound like we are in the same room. It's called the double ender. He's recording himself locally. I'm recording myself locally. Then we mash them up. I get his track. I put it next to my track. I sync everything up. And it sounds like we're in the same room because both tracks are recorded locally. If you want an easy way to do this yourself and you don't want to mess with all the equipment, Riverside.fm is the leading platform to record studio quality remote podcasts. You can record from anywhere, Laurel, Montana, Nashville, Tennessee, Walla Walla, Washington, or Chunky, Mississippi. It doesn't matter. Wherever your guest is in the world, you're going to sound like you're in the same room. And that's because of that double end. It records locally. After it does that, it takes the recording up to the cloud. Then you get your hands on it and edit it, do your post-production work, anything you want to. It's easy and intuitive to use. You don't have to worry about equipment, man. Send your guest a web link. That's it. Your guest clicks on the link, goes into the Chrome browser. The Riverside.fm studio is there, capturing you and your guest locally. It's as easy as that. You can try it for free. If you go to Riverside.fm right now, they're going to give you a couple of hours. Find your great guest, check it out. Maybe two great guests. You've got two hours, right? You can do two in that time. 
Riverside.fm. Go there now. Try it out. If you want to stick around, here's a discount code. Big Podcast. B-I-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. That's going to get you 15% off. But don't worry about that now. Worry about this. Try it for free. See how you like it. See how you sound. See how you guess sounds. And you're both going to sound great. Riverside.fm. That's how to do it. And when you are ready to buy Big Podcast, that's the discount code B-I-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Here's my conversation about the psychology of putting great podcasts together with Dan Hughley of Focusrite. I want to focus on two things for this interview. One, I want to talk about setting the space to get something good on tape. What I mean by that is both the physical space and also emotional space. You've got a music business background, just like I do, recording musicians. And I think that we look at this in a different way than podcasters. Also, I want to get into the tech elements of getting that interview on tape once you've done the, we'll call it pre-work. Sure. So like I said, you and I both work with musicians and for you, that's recording musicians. What is something that podcasters can learn from how musicians are recorded as far as setting the space up to get something good on tape? That's a really good question because early in my education for audio engineering, you learn that you're a bit of a psychologist as well. You have to learn how to manage people and how to manage the situation that you're in. If someone comes in kind of panicked or you can tell that something's bothering them, you have to calm them down and you have to do it in a way that it's not obvious. You have to be able to make fun jokes, uh, find what can calm them down. And you know, if they have any anxiety, you have to be able to get that out of the way so you relax the person. You know, just have a chat with them sometimes. And that's really all you need is a bit of small talk and the person's ready to go at that point. And it's the same with musicians. Musicians work different hours than most of us. They're not nine to five people. So if you have something in the morning with a musician, you got to put in time for them to wake up. And it's kind of like that with podcast interviews as well, just because, you know, you want the person to be comfortable and you want to get the best out of that person. I find that sometimes like the initial talk, you know, people are feeling each other out. Mm hmm. And then they, oh, they finally relax. They trust you. Mm-hmm. I do that a lot with the pre-interview. Yeah. So hopefully you can speed that up because sometimes you, you don't have a lot of time. Yeah. Tell me a musician's story because musicians, what I've found is that although they're pretty bold on stage, they look bold. It's, you know, coming at it as a musician, you're a musician, I'm a musician. Yeah. Oh. And you know how it is to get on stage and there's a lot of criticism toward them. So they're somehow uh, or somewhat less secure than maybe most people would think. Yeah. They're not as bold. And, and I feel like uh, sometimes they're like, uh, is, is that okay? You know, you've got to be that guy that says, okay, you know, that was good, but can you do it one more time just to make sure we've got it? You know that line. Yeah, oh yeah, just, just a safety net. Right. One more for safety. And it's really like you hit that note flat is really what you're saying there. <laughs> You know, that's a tough one for me because my insecurities come out at that point. And I have a good example. I was working with some artists this weekend. I was at an event. It was probably the best event I've ever worked. It was a guitar festival where we had a small booth and we had the new Scarlet plugged in. And each day I had a different artist there. And my objective was only to make music with this person and just come up with tracks, come up with ideas. So I was producer engineer, which I haven't worn that hat in, man, probably probably a decade. Yeah. So I was a bit nervous the first day I have a, a Berkeley graduate um, and, and they're notoriously amazing instrumentalists and, and musicians. So we're talking about Berkeley school of music. 
in Boston. I mean, it's one of the top performance schools that there is. So they're very good musicians. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was the morning started out kind of slow. You know, it started out a little slow. It was kind of the getting to know you phase like you were talking about. It's almost like the small talk was happening, but we had to dive right into it because we met that morning. She got there at 830. We started at nine. People were already coming up and and checking stuff out. So really what we were doing is making noise, uh, really good sounding noise. And all I did was pull drum loops and she did the rest. Working with professionals like that is it's really a treat because there were times I'm like, you know, I really like what you did there. But what if you tried one like this? And then I kind of hummed something out. And I've been telling this story all week because I've just I'm just kind of on a high from this event still. And um, I, I hum something out for and you can see in her mind like she's thinking about it. And then she goes, oh, something like this. And I'm like, it, that's better than what I thought. Yeah, that's exactly it, except better than what I thought it would be. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and it took a while to get to the to build my own confidence as an interviewer or an engineer in this case to get to that question or to get to that. Yeah, I like what you're doing, but what if you tried it like this? And we were both really happy with the result. But, you know, it's kind of that feeling you out period of that first question or of that first take uh, when you're recording music. You know, you kind of have to feel each other out and make sure that you're both comfortable with each other. And, yeah, get those insecurities out of the way first. Well, I haven't thought about it like this until you just said it, but being a, I'll call myself a former musician, but also interviewing people now, you really have to let loose and you have to trust. You can't hold back. I talked to a musician from Emily Harris's band one time and she had told him, she said, don't meek out. You know, if you're going to get there on, on the front of the stage, go for it, man. And if you make a mistake, they're probably not going to know. And I think about that too, is as somebody who asks questions, your audience is thinking those questions yeah. and they want you to ask them. And sometimes it's a risk. Sometimes we have, I had an interview one time with a guy and he had just been arrested mm-hmm. um, in a stolen car with Oof. drugs. And the publicist was like, don't ask about the car. <laughs> and I didn't have to, cause he brought it up. Oh, great. <laughs> so I was like, hell I'm going yeah. for it. And, yep. and we talked about it, but you know, I, I think that um, people wanting to talk about it. You just have to go in there with confidence and not make them nervous because maybe they're nervous too. One other story about people on stage, they become a character as a musician as well. And we have to realize that. Right. There's a very famous guitar player that I work with. Basically, he calls me when he needs some new gear. I try to work something out with him to get a comment, but usually he's like, no, I want to pay for it. I just want to buy it directly from you. It's funny because I wanted, I'm like, look, man, we've, you love our gear. Why don't we do a video project together? You're like, no, no, no. I, I just don't feel comfortable uh, on video. And I'm like, dude, I saw you last night on stage. Right. Screaming at the top of your lungs while playing guitar. Yet you're not good on camera. He's like, man, that's a character. It's not who I am. That's who I am at work. And just was like, wow, really? We're all a little bit different at work, aren't we? And and you know, you don't think of a rock star who you saw on stage the night before as he was at work, but that's how it is. Yeah, I think it's that way in radio too, yeah. or comics. Have you met a comic after the show? Oh, yeah. Everybody's laughing during the show, and they're quiet. Some of these comics are weird. Then you realize it was just a scripted, yeah, a script they've been working on for their whole life in some cases. One hundred percent. I certainly see that in radio, like a lot of the guys and like, hey, everybody, and, you know, and <laughs> talking to all of Los Angeles. But then and I think we have to have that balance. Yeah. And I think understanding that about your guests, your guests might be going through that same thing. I've certainly made that mistake with guests that have come in because before I interview somebody, I'm listening to their previous interview. 
or previous music if I'm interviewing musicians. And sometimes you get them in the studio and like, what? It's like a completely different right. person. Or maybe they're just having a bad day. You never know. You have to find that stuff out. I've done a lot of interviews. I've been on both ends of interviews. And the best interview that I was ever, how do I say it? I was, I was on the, uh, I was being interviewed. So the best interview I ever got was a psychologist interviewed me. And it felt more like a therapy session than anything else. And <laughs> it was amazing. And and that and right. it just kind of to bring this whole thing full circle, that's what it is, is we're a bit of a psychologist or as the engineer or the producer, no matter if it's spoken word or if it's music. What you're doing, I think, as an engineer, as a producer in music, but also as a host for podcasting, is like you're setting the space for somebody to be able to deliver what they can deliver. Right. And also understand that it's not that easy. They make it look easy because they've got people helping them and they're certainly talented, but to do it day in and day out, especially if you're on like a, a junket tour, you do yeah. three or four of these things in a row or just two days in a row for some people. Yeah. You know, and I, to me, this is in the middle of my work day. So of course, coming into this, I was working on something and I'm not thinking about what I'm doing after completely blocked that out of my head, knowing I was coming on here. Right. You know, another thing as an interviewer is you're used to your show. David Hooper of the big podcast. And you're used to being David Hooper of the big podcast. Right. I've never been on the show before. I wasn't nervous. We've known each other for a long time. I'm not nervous about this, but you know, other people might be. You're the right guy to understand gear. And I think you have to understand that most people don't. Mm -hmm. They're lucky to use an iPhone or Zoom. Right. <laughs> so they're certainly not going to know how to plug in a microphone or preamps or yeah. space, you know. I, I do want to ask you about Steve I. And it's so interesting we're leading in the conversation like this. I first heard about Steve I, I mean, like the late 80s, Flexible yeah. was the record. Okay. And if you're familiar with that album, you might be familiar with Frank Zappa that Steve I had played with. Both those guys are extremely experimental. Yeah. I want to throw that into the discussion here because like they had space to be weird. That album is weird as hell. I mean, Abel is, I think, him shredding. And then Flex, the Flex side was the weird stuff. Did you learn anything from him, from working with him about him? setting the space for the people he worked with to be able to do that because he seems like a guy like every time i see him and i see him on various documentaries and it seems like he's like in a i don't know he seems like he's in like a uh, uh a yoga studio or something he's always like on the floor and there's books around and yeah secret passages and there is. You know, he seems like a guy who's really into spaces he is. Yeah. That was very important to him. The vibe was very important to him. And it is to me too. You know, I mentioned to you before we started this interview that I'm working on some music. Well, my studio space is also my office space. So I've had to do some things to turn this into, get into the mindset of being a creative after a day of work. And I know you're not asking about me, but let's go there because this is as somebody who's in the business and then people are familiar with your work. This is perfect. I'm happy to talk about the Steve spaces because there are some cool stuff, but we can get back to that if you want. Or is that what you're asking? I'm sorry. Now I'm curious about you because I'll tell you why. This is such a common thing for podcasters mm -hmm. in that, like I'm in a closet, Oh yeah, a walk-in closet and it is five by five okay. by eight. It's maybe, it's it's small and it's tricked out. I mean, the electrician come in, it's got lighting nice. and stuff. You know what nice. I mean? But, but it's a dedicated yeah. space. It is not the corner of a bedroom. It is not in a lot of podcasters because mm -hmm. you see them on video, they've got somebody washing dishes behind them or whatever. So, Let's talk about setting your space, working with what you've gotten and how you've done that. Yeah. What are you doing for a workspace and a creative space? It's the same space. So I'm lucky enough that 
I work from home, so I have a dedicated bedroom that is converted to an office. My wife has another bedroom, so we're very fortunate to have that. Hilariously, this room had carpet from the floor to the middle of the wall. That's helpful for audio. It actually is very helpful for audio. It, <laughs> it, it you know, it takes away one of those flat surfaces. And right. it, it, it was funny. The realtor is like, oh, you can take care of that. It's like, it's taken care of. No, that helped the problem. That's good. That works for me. <laughs> uh, but what I've done is I've just made it. I've hung stuff on the walls that I like. Um, I have things. There's a shelf that goes around the room. I have stuff there. But to get into the mindset, I did one thing that's the trick. I'm tricking myself. You know, I'm being that psychologist with myself. I bought these like Wi-Fi light bulbs. They're in the fixture, the light fixture on the ceiling. And when it's time for me to make that quick transition from work to creative, I change the color of the lights. Nice. Yeah, I love that. That's it. And they can be any color. You know, it's just a color wheel. So I can scroll over to any color that is not the white that I'm using right now. Yeah. And that works. Sometimes it's blue. Usually it's like a dark blue or a purple or something like a black light ish. And that's really it. I've got some lava lamps in here. I was going to ask about that. Seems like that's a studio. It's a thing, staple. You know? If you go to yeah. any studio in Nashville, one hundred percent. Yeah, yep. I've I've always had them though. Even when I, I before I moved here, when I lived in L.A., I had a few lava lamps, but I just like them. I don't know why. Kind of chills the room out a little bit. Another thing that I do, I have a sit stand desk. So uh, when I'm working during the day, I'm mostly sitting. But then when I go to be creative, I I do standing because I'm kind of all over the place. Right. I'm very fidgety. That's me getting myself to the edge of my comfort zone is when I'm being creative, especially right now. I have a song that I'm working on. That's I feel very vulnerable with it. Yeah. And I need to be able to hit spacebar, walk out of the room. And it's funny because my wife's like, why are you switching between your music and David Bowie? And I'm like, <laughs> I needed a, I needed a break. I needed a break from mine. And I yeah. and to me, silence doesn't help. It makes what I just heard repeat in my head. So, yeah, uh, the last time I was in the studio here. I was listening to a David Bowie album and every time I hit the space bar in Pro Tools, I hit the play button in Spotify and and David Bowie was on <laughs> and uh, I would go get, you know, like a I drink a lot of sparkling water. So I just go grab one out of the fridge, come back and then I'm in the space like, oh, right. And just that little space, that break that you give yourself sometimes of walking 20 feet to the fridge and back, it fixes something that was broken, especially if you're not listening to the same thing or if you're not listening to silence. That's kind of a trick that I use to, to kind of break through a creative block or a creative barrier. I love that. And I'm going to add something to it. I think that as a host, it is up for us to set the space in our studio, the emotional yeah. space. And I think when we can show up grounded yeah. and not like, oh, sorry, hey, I had to plug this mic in, you know, I mean, this kind of thing, but come in there give that space to the guests mm -hmm. or musicians as we're talking about either ones whoever you're recording that allows them to relax it's almost like turning on those fancy lights you've got yeah it shifts it from the traffic they had coming yeah. in to okay i can relax let's do this and, and professionals get this but i think that's where a lot of podcasters are is with people who are not necessarily professionals they're people who aren't interviewed a lot that's the nature of podcasting we don't have people who are media trained we've got regular people talking about very specific we do. things and and i forget what's this traffic thing that you're talking about i don't i don't I, uh, concept yeah, is foreign yeah. to me i don't know what that is anymore montana yeah they probably hadn't seen lava lights out there either <laughs> not since the you're, 60s <laughs> i'm not sure if they're legal here you're blowing minds baby <laughs> <laughs> you might be on the watch list <laughs> but you know I'm kind of creating that space down here because I, I, I do intend on working with artists here, you know, living in LA, I got to the point of, you can 
you know, throw a rock 10 feet and hit five audio engineers in Los Angeles. Right. Here, we're kind right. of hard to come by. So yeah. <laughs> I, I'm thinking about throwing a little side hustle out there and getting back into my roots of recording music. And luckily, we have a space down here. I could put up a drum kit and I could mic it. And, you know, I have a, a guest room down here. I could make that a vocal room. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to get back into some music production. And all of this is important of making people feel comfortable when they come into my space. Come in here. This is, yeah, it's my home, but it's also my my studio and my office. I want you to feel at home so you can be your creative self here. Something you just said, you're talking about recording musicians. When I lived in Mississippi, we had a guy down there and he had a, just a portable recorder. And if you've watched stuff like this movie, like That Thing You Do, if you're yeah. familiar with that, that used to be super common, like in the 40s and 50s. Some guy would come to your place with a reel-to-reel and a mic. <laughs> he's going to record yeah. you. And that's yeah. how it happened. Like Sam Phillips in Memphis, That's they were all doing this kind of thing. And what he was doing in Mississippi was he was driving around these dirt roads and he would find these old guys that were more or less like sharecroppers. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were just like the brokest of the broke field hand guys, but they had music in them, like this traditional music and would record them. And I, I think this is another thing that we provide to people. And I don't know if podcasters understand this. Like sometimes we are going to people that have never been listened to. Mm -hmm. and you're setting a space for them to be listened to, not just the physical space like we're talking about, the emotional space, but you're just saying like, yeah, your stuff is important. Yeah. And this is archival audio potentially. So I think it's great. I love it that you're in Laurel, Montana, <laughs> and there's a space for somebody to tell their story because this is important. It's important that we get this stuff because we're not going to be around forever. I agree. Yeah, it's it's it's. I, I want everybody to to tell their story, whether it's, you know, on a podcast or it's through their music. And right now for me, you know, I had my podcast because of the podcast product we were working on at Focusrite. That was really the reason that I started two different podcasts was I wanted to learn the pain points and I wanted to learn the workflow of a podcaster. And the best way for me to do that was to immerse myself and become one, which I absolutely, I love the podcast community. Everybody in podcasting is just so pleasant to be around in my experience. Well, for the most part, at least uh, there is, you know, there's one or two under undesirables, yeah. a couple, but, a couple. <laughs> but we get along Yeah, for the most part. It feels like a safe space where everybody's story is welcome and, and not even welcome, but encouraged. Well, you learn how to listen as a great host. So I, I think that that sets the space for somebody to be heard and because of that understood. One thing that sticks out to me from music school, because I went for audio engineering, but before that I was actually in keyboard performance. And then I learned I had stage fright, which uh, that was pretty funny. You and me both, man. Yes. I made a quick pivot and I'm like, you know, I'm pretty good at production. I'm going to go to audio engineering. And that's where I ended up excelling. But I had a class that was just called Groove when I was in keyboards. And all it was, was you'd learn to find the groove. Yeah. You learn to play along with a bass line and with a drum beat. The teacher of that class was a big deadhead. I don't remember. It was one of the dead. I don't remember the, the who it was exactly, but it was listen more than you play. I think that goes into being a musician as well as a podcaster, because as a podcaster, you need to give your guests the space to talk. It's your show, David, but you're giving your guests a platform and you would be doing yourself and your, your listeners a disservice if you talked for 45 minutes of an hour conversation. Some people do. They do. I interviewed a guy named uh, Claude McKnight. Uh -huh. His brother is Brian McKnight. A lot of people are familiar with Brian McKnight, but Claude is in a band called Take Six, a vocal band. Marvin Lawrence had a 
sitcom called Marvin, and they did the theme song. You might be familiar with that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Great singer. It's six guys on stage, acapella, mostly. And I asked him, I said, what does it take to be a great singer? And he said, listening. So you imagine that six guys on stage, you got five other dudes with you. You've got to listen to them because you got to start on time, end on time, harmony. But that's changed how I've thought about singing. It's changed how I've thought about even what we're talking about. You've got to listen to be able to respond. Yeah. The music I make is me by myself. And I have the same thing where I have to listen to what I just did. You might be producing something. You're like, I got a really cool synth line I laid down. And you go, oh, cool. Here's like a, a marimba that I want to put in there. And then you put it in there and you put something else in, put something else and you go, I can't hear anything now. Yeah. So you have to listen to yourself as well and 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 know when to give that marimba a break. Yeah, less is more sometimes. <laughs> Another thing in my room, one of my walls is chalkboard. I have on there, less is more. <laughs> yeah. I have that written in chalk all the time. It's because of people like Focus, right? So yeah, you need uh, 48 tracks. No. 96. <laughs> no. no. Uh, we talked about Steve I record. Yeah. That was a, I think that was a Fostex eight track yeah. he had, reel to reel that he recorded mm -hmm. on. And when you have only eight tracks, you've got to make decisions. Oh, yeah. That ninth track, you know, some, something's yeah. got to go. Yeah, that was, um, I got an old Bob Marley track when I was at MI and they're like, here, just mix this. Tell about Musicians Institute. I am, yeah. That's where I got my degree. We got to bring in the non-musicians in on this. <laughs> I, I forget. I forget we're not just on the phone here. <laughs> but uh, I got an old Bob Marley track. It was 23 tracks that were brought into Pro Tools uh, because usually the 24th track was time. On a 24-track tape recorder, you really only have 23 that you can put audio on. And on one of the tracks, it was hilarious because the toms were on the same track as the organ. Oh, wow. And you go, well, how the heck did they do that? Had they bounced them? No, it was like they had to think what doesn't play at the same time because we need 24 tracks, not 23. I love it. <laughs> you have to think what's happening where I can put the toms on this track. Yeah. And also the organ. You go, oh, the organ and the toms are never at the same time. Oh, so, beautiful. So, beautiful. So, of course, you know, I have Pro Tools and the infinite number of tracks. I, of course, moved those and I was able to mix it. Yeah. But, you know, that's decisions we don't have to make anymore. Although, I've got a two-channel Scarlet on my desk, and me just doing production in the box and, and doing vocals, that's easy. But if I do have that band come in here, I'm going to need to expand that. Hopefully, Focusrite comes out with some bigger interfaces in the near future here. Well, the other thing I think podcasters sort of related to that, uh, we don't have to deal with time. Mm -hmm. Radio. Oh, gosh. And, and music, if you're trying to get on radio, you've got to think, oh, 3.30. That used to be the thing. But nowadays, I just got a new single. It's two minutes and 12 seconds. It's so funny. I've got some friends of mine. They are strip club DJs. <laughs> and they cannot stand the two-minute songs because they're paying by the dance. Oh, yeah. That's how they're making their money. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, they can't go with Inagata DeVita either because right. the girls are going to be like, hey, I'm stuck with this dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is, uh, you know, it, when I was a kid, like four and a half minutes was the norm for a song. Then when I went to Musicians Institute, it was about three and a half. And now it's yeah. two minutes is kind of the attention span that most people have. And songs are different. In, in fairness, there's sometimes not even a bridge and they don't have key changes. Key change? What? what? <laughs> exactly. So I, I think our minds, like we're not stimulated as much. It's more like a hook or a track. Yeah. I think that's part of it. But that's another thing I, I think is there's so many, I'm so glad to talk to you about this because there are so many things that I see from my musician background in podcasting. Like we would have segments, for example, 
in radio podcasting, like, a, all right, we're going to do a, the speed round, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then go back to the interview or you've got to think in segments to keep a listener's brain engaged. You do. These four hour Tim Ferriss interviews. Mm, I can't do it. I, no, that's, that's like my whole work week right there. Yeah. I, I, sim- on a similar note, I tried listening to an episode of the Joe Rogan show once and it took me a week and a half to listen to one episode. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, he's got six more episodes that are new now. I'm, I, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> right. And it, it was a really good interview. It was a, a really old one. It was with uh, Jack Dorsey of Twitter at the time. That was a good interview. It was a fun one to listen to, but it, it took me forever. So I was like, yeah, yeah this isn't, this isn't for me. Well, I, I think he's a guy. And I think all of us, a good edit. Mm hmm is helpful because there are some things it gets back to the 23 tracks that you've got or eight tracks, how many tracks you've got. It's like, if you think like that, like not all of this can or should go here, what can we do to make the marimba stand out? Yeah, that's exactly it. And less is more. And I, I keep, you know, we all have reference tracks when we're making music and it's funny because a lot of mine don't have anything to do with the music I make. I make a lot of hip hop. But I listen to a lot of rock and I listen to I listen to a lot of hip hop. But my reference tracks, there's one in particular, this band London Grammar, if you've heard of them. And it's so minimalistic that there's these guitars that are just like they'll strum a chord slowly. And it's so deep in the mix that you're just like, you know, it's there, but it's not taking over the track. That's something I try to latch on to. And that's why it's a reference track. It's the less is more attitude. Explain what reference track is for people who don't know. Sure. So when you're making music, you need to be centered or grounded on something, something that keeps you focused and on track for what you want to create. And for me, a lot of the reference tracks for the album that I have are related. They're hip hop tracks. But when I need to be like, less is more, less is more, less is more. I play this London Grammar track. I think it's called Wasting Our Young Years. And it's such a beautifully recorded record and beautifully mixed, hilariously done in a college dorm room when they were freshmen in college. (laughs) And it's just so good. It's well, sometimes those are the best moments that are on tape. Yeah. Just the, the, the weird ones. Um, yeah. I want to ask you about that regarding, cause you're a gear guy as well as a, a creative person. A little <laughs> <laughs> more gear than most. Let's say yeah, that maybe, more maybe. gear. Do you have thoughts for people who are maybe nervous about getting into gear and, and failure of gear or not understanding gear? Do you have thoughts for somebody who's maybe overwhelmed by technology and they're trying to upgrade their podcast? What's the best place for them to start? This could be a great place for a product pitch right now, but no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, you know, not yet. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's a space where you, yes, you're going to be overwhelmed. You know, when I was at, at MI, it, um, we learned signal flow on a, 48 channel SSL console. I want you to explain what signal flow is. Thank you. That's my favorite question. <laughs> so signal flow is the process of sound coming from your mouth right, all the way through all of your recording gear, through your computer, back to your ears. Right. Following the cord, basically. Following the cord. Yeah. So, you know, they hammered that into our heads. It's funny because that we had one SSL console that was 48 channel and we've all seen a recording console, lots of knobs and buttons, you know, day one, you go into that 48 channel and you're like, I'm never going to learn this. Right. And then there's a patch bay. You're like, I'm, I'm never going to learn what a patch bay is. A patch bay. If, if you've not familiar with that word, that's, uh, that literally is like, it's like an old school phone operator. Yeah. And you're it making is. connections and you've got these little bitty, like, hello, what's your, 
who are you calling? Like you're that guy that that's taking like an outlet in the studio to a compressor in the uh, room that you're in. And it's funny that you use that because the connection's called Tiny Telephone is the name yeah. of the connector. <laughs> oh, 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 right. Yeah. The TT connections are, are Tiny Telephone. Yep. So, you know, you get intimidated by that. Oh, but yeah. then you realize an out always has an in plugged into it and vice versa. And 48 is the same thing repeated 48 times too. Yeah, that's the thing. So what they did is in one room, they had the 48 channel. In another room, they had an eight channel, but they had every other module had a blank in it. So it wasn't eight channels next to each other. You learned one and then you learned the second right. one and then you learned the third one. And there was space in between for you to do that. So it was simplified. So if you learn one, you know all 48 because they're exactly the same. Right. That was really one of those beneficial things. Dan Hughley on Build a Big Podcast. I feel like I'm coming out of a song. That's how you do when you're a radio jock. Smashing pumpkins on the X, bright and sunny in Nashville, Tennessee with a cool 78 degrees. <laughs> Anyway, Dan Hughley from Focusrite. Part two, we'll be diving more into the technical end of getting a good podcast recording. $500, what would you do with $500? How would you spend it? As far as equipment goes, that is enough money to have a really great sounding podcast. We'll be going deeper into that on an upcoming episode. If you want to make sure that you don't miss it, this is how to do that. Go to bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. That is the subscribe page or follow, some people call it. Regardless, it's got three buttons for you. One for iPhone. One for Android, there's an RSS feed. Don't like buttons? I've got a QR code that you can scan. Any of these options is going to get you subscribed. It is free. You will never miss an episode of Build a Big Podcast. That URL again, bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. One more thing before I get out of here. If you're looking for personal help marketing your podcast, building a bigger audience, making a podcast that people care about, making money with your podcast, I've got a personal coaching program for you. It is called Big Podcast AMP, A-M-P. It stands for Audio Monetization Program. I talked about being in the music business. What is that? Audio, podcasting, audio. I know all about making money with audio. I can help you do it. The URL, bigpodcast.com slash amp. There is more information there. I will personally work with you to grow your podcast, spread your message, and make more money with your podcast. Bigpodcast.com slash amp. Go there now before you forget, and I will see you on the next episode of Build a Big Podcast.